Rough year for your favorite NFL team? Join me, Danny Heifetz, along with Danny Kelly, Ben Solak, and Craig Krolbeck on the Ringer NFL Draft Show, where we talk about all things NFL Draft, and more importantly, how to fix your mediocre team. Check out the Ringer NFL Draft Show every Tuesday and Thursday. This episode of The Town is brought to you by FX's Feud, Capote versus the Swans. The second installment in Ryan Murphy's Feud anthology tells the story of acclaimed writer Truman Capote, once a confidant to society's most elite women, whom he nicknamed the Swans. Starring Naomi Watts, Diane Lane, Chloe Sevigny, Calista Flockhart, Demi Moore, Molly Ringwald, and Tom Hollander. For your Emmy consideration, visit fxnetworks.com FYC. This episode is brought to you by Netflix, presenting The Crown, as the beloved series bids farewell. Deserving of praise on every level, says New York Magazine. Throughout its groundbreaking six-season run, The Crown has featured three different casts, earned 273 award nominations, and secured 70 award wins, including outstanding drama series. Critics rave, The Crown secures its place in the pantheon of television history. From creator and writer Peter Morgan, the final season stars Imelda Staunton, Dominic West, and SAG Award winner Elizabeth Debicki. The Crown, for your Emmy consideration in all categories. It is Thursday, April 27th. Let's start today with a quiz. Who's the biggest movie star in the world? Tom Cruise? Okay, I'll accept that answer. The Cruise outside of his core franchises, a little iffier. But Tom Cruise was number one in a new survey that has caught the attention of a lot of people in Hollywood. The study was conducted by National Research Group and it debuted in my Puck newsletter on Sunday. Quick plug, sign up for that at puck.news or you can go to the link in the episode description and get a discount. Anyway, the survey asked people, simple question. Name up to five actors that would make you most interested in seeing a movie in a theater. Not who's the biggest star or who do you like the most. Who do you want to watch in a movie theater? Who's getting you to that movie theater? That's a key question these days as studios try to figure out that elusive word, theatricality. I've been at the CinemaCon Theater Owner Conference all week in Las Vegas, and you hear that word everywhere. What is theatrical? We know superheroes still work, and horror and big pre-branded IP like the Super Mario Brothers movie. But which stars are still a draw? The butts and seats calculus is a lot more complicated these days. And this study was a real eye-opener. Among the top 20 were tons of familiar names like Leo DiCaprio, Denzel Washington, The Rock, Julia Roberts. But they're all older. No Jennifer Lawrence, no Timothy Chalamet, no Tom Holland or Michael B. Jordan, at least not in the top 20. Not anyone Hollywood has anointed a movie star in the past decade. The average age in this crew is 57 years old. Only four of the top 20 are in their 40s. Two are in their 80s. It's almost like people stopped recognizing actors as theatrical draws after social media and Netflix became a thing in the early 2010s. There's other stuff going on in this list. They actually did a top 100. And when you broaden it out, there are some younger stars in there. The rankings say a lot about Hollywood. and Who's wielding the star power that matters right now? what that even means. So I brought on the show one of the authors of the study, Ray Subers, who's a senior VP at NRG, to talk about what it all means, the methodology they used, the aging of the American movie star, and where, if anywhere, are the new butts and seats actors. From The Ringer and Puck, I'm Matt Bellany, and this is The Town. All right, we are here with Ray Subers, who is senior VP of theatrical strategy at NRG, National Research Group, previously at Box Office Mojo, and a very knowledgeable guy when it comes to all things movies and who is watching movies and who should be in movies. Welcome, Ray. 
Thanks, Matt. All right. So this study caught my eye when uh, a source of mine sent it to me. You did not leak it to me. You guys were, uh, it, it was sort of everywhere this week, but you guys did not leak that to me. And I just want to read the top 20 movie stars. And remember, this is a survey that Energy did where the question was, name five actors who are most likely to get you to go to watch a movie in theaters. And the list is Tom Cruise, Dwayne Johnson, Tom Hanks, Brad Pitt, Denzel Washington, Julia Roberts, Will Smith, Leonardo DiCaprio, Johnny Depp, exclamation point, Kevin Hart, Keanu Reeves, Sandra Bullock, Ryan Reynolds, Adam Sandler, Harrison Ford, George Clooney, Robert Downey Jr., Angelina Jolie, Morgan Freeman, and Chris Hemsworth. So those people have something in common. They are all pretty old. 57.5 years old is the average of that crew. What the hell's going on here? One of the conversations that came up the last time we were bringing this study around town, study we do twice a year, was what's the value of cast? What's the importance of cast? And, and how do we kind of how do we think of that around our movies? And so when we were designing this latest study, we thought, well, let's let's throw this question in. Let's ask, you know, who would get you, who makes you want to see a movie in a theater? And when we got the results back, we were immediately like, wow, this is this is very interesting. We and it immediately jumped out the issue around age. It really, you know, raises a question of like what what is going on with with stardom today? You know, and and what how do we build stars? Because we're clearly not building superstars, top 20 stars in the way that we may have in the past. This is is a trend we're seeing, you know, across a variety of other of areas, and we definitely see it in theatrical. Well, but these are social and cultural issues, is what you're saying. Mm -hmm. It's the fragmentation of media. It's the social media era where everything is coming at us all at once, all the time, that, you know, it's really hard to build up the brand of a movie star. And when you think of these stars that can put butts in seats, it's sort of necessarily a nostalgic or throwback question because if you look at the names that matter these are people that spent the 80s 90s and early 2000s being marketed relentlessly as essentially consumer brands you know when the Julia Roberts or Will Smith or Harrison Ford movie came out there was a concerted marketing campaign around those people to build them up as something that has meaning in the market and meaning to consumers and that is what drew people in to the theater we don't see that effort these days around the individual we see it around the IP or we see it around the franchise but it's very rare when you see a months-long, relentless television, digital, uh, whatever campaign marketing a star. Absolutely. I, I think that you, you get at a really important part there, and it's the word brand. You know, when we have, we're dealing with, obviously, the, the friction of staying at home, you know, that option of the convenience and the quality that's available and, and the low price, right? These are all the things that are pulling us to home. Getting to the theater requires making a plan with friends, maybe coordinating childcare, driving to the theater, parking, dealing with the crowds, paying the concession prices, paying the ticket prices, ever increasing, you know, all of these things, right? There's an enormous, enormous hurdle that theatrical has to, has to clear. And people need to know, they tell us all the time, 
we want more original movies. They say we want more original movies, but they go to franchises. They go to franchises because they're a safe bet. Yeah, the brand is there. The it's the same there. reason why when Cheerios is sitting next to the generic brand at Ralph's, you buy the Cheerios, even if it's more expensive, because there's a brand and you trust it. You know what Cheerios, you know what Cheerios are. Historically, the brand has been stars. You know, the star comes with a level of reassurance of what I'm going to get when I go to the theater. Right. You know, you see Clooney, Clooney connotes something. Clooney connotes and something. It's not for everybody, but it's for a lot of people. And he has made choices in his career and has been marketed in such a way that he means something to the consumer, or he did, and he still does. It's less clear why someone like Timothy Chalamet or Zendaya or Tom Holland can't have that same branding in the way that Clooney does. That's what we want to get at here because they're doing the same thing. They're playing the same playbook, but you know, they're on the top hundred list. They're just not at the top of the list because why? Well, I think there's an interesting, you know, it's important to keep in mind here. Our study was among ages 12 to 74, and this was a nationally representative sample. We are pretty heavy weighted, you know, older in this study. When we look under 35, Matt, and this is not something that was in the in the slides that you know that you had that you got your hands on, right? But we look under 35, those stars do come up. You know, particularly Tom Holland, Zendaya are both top 15 among Gen Z, which we actually we we did mention. But this is really interesting. Under 35 females, Zendaya number seven among under 35 females. Overall, Tom Holland number 13 overall. Yeah. So huge, huge difference there. So. While older audiences might not even know, might not even be able to tell you who Zendaya is, among her core, she's starting to build. This is a strong start, a strong foundation, right? But how many movies, theatrical movies, has Zendaya been in? The number's quite low at this. She's point. been in a few, but how many has she opened? Is the question. Did she open Spider Man? No. Did she open Dune? No. Like the she's gonna get a chance later this year to open a movie in Challengers, which I think is a really interesting test case. So we'll see what her star power is. But you're right, she's been on Euphoria and she was a Disney star and she has not had that, you know. And I talk to reps a lot, and reps, they kind of don't want that burden to be put on their stars. I mean, Zendaya is making $10 million for this movie, Challengers, and it's a real put her out there, get her to be that kind of star that can open a movie. But that is a risk. Doing Spider-Man in the second lead, not as much of a risk. Doing Dune in an ensemble with a big franchise and a marquee director, not that much of a risk. This is a risk for her later this year in Challengers. Absolutely. But that's how you build stardom. For everybody in the top 20, they took that leap and did those star vehicles. And once they were a star, they did them over and over again throughout the 90s and 2000s. And that's where you build real brand identity. Absolutely. You have, these stars have at least a handful of 100 million plus grocers that are on, you know, that are attributed to them essentially, right? And not to a brand, you know, and that's something we just don't see very often anymore. We don't see that shot, you know. You mentioned Gen Z, and one of the interesting things I thought about the Gen Z list and who is over-indexing on it mm. was, you know, Adam Sandler was third on your list of stars that over-index with Gen Z. Number 14 overall total, but he was number five among Gen Z. And 
this is a guy who's in his 50s and is making, you know, rom-coms with Jennifer Aniston. And is this really just attributable to the fact that he's been on Netflix for 10 years now? I think it's certainly partly attributable to the fact that he's making the Netflix movies. I think certainly his, you know, he has been popular with teens for a very, very long time. It's just the the kind of movies, the sort of dumb, you know, the comedy, kind of, right? And they're they're family movies, you know. People watch them with their with their kids who are under the age of ten. You know, the, mm. some of the humor can be a little bit risque, but they are family movies. So if you were, you could have been eight or nine when the you know the mid two thousands, you know, theatrical Adam Sandler movies were coming out, and today you're in your you know you're in your early twenties. You're a member of Gen Z, and Adam Sandler is still somebody that's you know enormously enormously meaningful to you. Craig has a Gen Z question. Ray, so I'm looking at the list here. Of, of, mm-hmm. there, there are 13 people under 40 years old in your top 100 here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was really taken aback that Jenna Ortega is at, at 54. She's only seven spots behind Zendaya. She's only one spot behind Scarlett Johansson. And she's ahead of Margot Robbie. She's ahead of Gal Gadot, Wonder Woman. She's ahead of Timothy Chalamet. Is that just a sign now that the key to creating a star, or at least to generate interest, because I can't imagine anybody over 30 Five thirty was voting for Jenna Ortega. So she must have been like one or two amongst Gen Z. And she's barely been in any movies on screen. She's been in two screen movies and a couple others. And no one really knew about her until she was in Wednesday. So it was the key here, really. The second you are in a in a hit Netflix show, you just put that person in movies. Let me give you a couple of data points on Jenna Ortega. So with Gen Z, she's number 16. With females under 35, she's 14. I, you know, I think that that's another one that is shocking for the reasons that you that you know. She's been in ensemble casts theatrically, you know, thus far, um, and then obviously Wednesday being, you know, Wednesday is a sensation, um, and I think that clearly is saying like when Jenna Ortega has a you know headlining role, that's something to really keep an eye on because that audience, that younger audience, is extremely excited, and she is you know a rocket ship essentially. I was surprised that Chalamet is only number ninety four considering the opportunities that he's getting. I mean, Warner Brothers is building this entire Wonka movie around him. And I, if I'm at Warner's and I see that 94 ranking, I'm a little nervous about that. The Chalamet data is certainly interesting. I, I will call out that even among you know under 35s, so males under 35, 82, females under 35, 92. Uh, so there's not really a huge over-index with the youngers. Certainly... His biggest movie is a major piece of IP, Dune. Dune uh, yeah. It was a pretty spectacular theatrical experience, um, and and certainly had an ensemble, um, you know, uh, work in there. So, yeah, I I think that story is you know still to be written. I will say, you know, obviously he was in a theatrical nationwide release, um, you know, in the fall where he was uh, the headliner of uh, Bones and All, and you know, I think that ultimately netted out yep, under yeah. That movie totally flopped. And I don't think a lot of people saw Call Me By Your Name, which was his big breakout. A lot of names not on this list at all that might be surprising, like no Florence Pugh, no Dakota Johnson, no Miles Teller, no Glenn Powell or Sidney Sweeney, no Ana Darmas, Craig's favorite, no Pete Davidson. Like, there's a lot of stars that the media and people in Hollywood think are stars, but the public, not stars yet. I, I don't have a I don't have a great answer for that. It's some you know we've we've got you know some obviously younger stars have really you know cemented themselves as as theatrical um, draws, and in other cases it might be less clear. Um, and obviously this is we're asking people 
who their top five are. And so right. and this might be a situation where for somebody, Florence Pugh might've been six or seven, um, which is still you know meaningful, but we're just not seeing as a top, top, absolutely must see in, in a movie in theaters. Right. Craig tried to vote for Ana de Armas five times, but that was not allowed in the service. And this bit needs to end. <laughs> never, never. As long as she's a star, it will never end. The lack of female representation in the top 20 is interesting. I count only three. Sandra Bullock, Julia Roberts, and Angelina Jolie. Why is that? You know, it's certainly a, a challenge I think the industry has faced, you know, historically, um, where we are, you know, primarily having, you know, males in leading roles. That's who, if you look were to look back at the, you know, the top 50 movies from 2022, how many of those have a female in the first position? Right. It's probably, I, I have the list in front of me. We could count live. I, I think it's probably under 20%. I'd be surprised if it's even that high. And so that is something we've been, you know, been grappling with for a very, very long time. Certainly not an issue that's resolved. But we do have, you know, we've got Jennifer Lawrence at at number, you know, number 25. We've got Jennifer Lopez at 24, Jennifer Aniston at 21. So we actually have, if you were to extend out to top 25, we add in uh, three more women on top of this. Yeah, still, it's kind of interesting because I feel like the marketing has so switched over in recent years where these female stars are getting much better billing and much more marketing. This episode is brought to you by Netflix, presenting The Crown as the beloved series bids farewell. Deserving of praise on every level, says New York Magazine. Throughout its groundbreaking six-season run, The Crown has featured three different casts earned 273 award nominations, and secured 70 award wins, including outstanding drama series. Critics rave, The Crown secures its place in the pantheon of television history. From creator and writer Peter Morgan, the final season stars Imelda Staunton, Dominic West, and SAG Award winner Elizabeth Debicki. The Crown, for your Emmy consideration in all categories. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. The question that I have about all this, and this came from a producer friend of mine who saw the numbers and and was basically blaming the industry for this problem and saying that, you know, this is the end result of 20 years of franchisification of the industry. It shouldn't come as a shock to Hollywood when you shift the entire business from a star-driven model to a pre-branded intellectual property and superheroes in masks economy that the audience also shifts and they don't care about the stars. They only care about the property and who's playing black widow. And that is the industry's fault. Do you agree with that? I think it's certainly a bit of a chicken and egg situation. You know, it's the industry is putting out the content that is what people are attending. Right. And that's been, that started to happen in, you know, the late, probably first decade of, you know, the, the 2000s and has obviously been a trend, you know, been a trend since then, you know, look, you guys on the ringer just did a, a great podcast about a uh, nineties summer blockbusters, mm-hmm. uh, fantasy and company did that. And 
you know, I just finished that a little while ago and, and it really is, is stark, you know, what type of major original tent poles were being put out in the summer led by led by stars and reinforcing their their stardom leveraging right. originals it, reinforcing it. originals, originals. The, the stuff that's getting remade and you know bad boys four and all that those were the original summer blockbusters in the 90s and it helped to build these stars up it really did it would be great if we we took a few more shots you know the the mix might be a little bit off and taking a few more shots but we're in, you know, risk mitigation obviously is is critical. We were talking about risk mitigation for the consumers. You know, Hollywood is, wants to mitigate risk as well. Um, and certainly, you know, existing IP uh, mitigates risk and existing stars. You know, the people who are in the top 20 right now mitigate risk. You go start going well below that and you start getting riskier and you're looking at huge investments. And I think there's just not necessarily the appetite for it today. The other funny thing, and I always find this amusing, is you know, something that points out the bubble that everyone in Hollywood lives in. Because guess who's in the top 10? Johnny Depp, who is basically unemployable by a major studio, was fired off of Fantastic Beasts when there was a ruling in the UK that he abused uh, Amber Heard, was sort of indicated in the US trial. Public doesn't seem to care about that, or at least associates him with the kind of movies they want to see in theaters. And they don't really give him any dings because of the scandals. What's going on there? Same with Will Smith. He doesn't seem to have been hurt at all by the Oscar stuff. So, you know, should studios just ignore all this stuff and hire the controversial stars because the audiences don't care? It was obviously a very tricky area. Yeah. Um, I think that <laughs> if somebody, if you've got 30 years of experience of a pretty deep emotional connection with a star, from rewatching their movies and really falling in love with them, you can really, I think, pretty easily compartmentalize and block out stories that you don't love right. and focus on what you what you do love. And we see this obviously not just in this, but also, you know, we see it in politics all the time. You know, if you're on the team, you're gonna ignore things that are maybe less savory about somebody, potentially, right? So I think that that's where I kind of keep coming back to on, on this. Now, obviously, you know, casting somebody who's highly controversial and putting them in a big movie and rolling that out, there's there's going to be risk associated with that. That's, you know, there's the knowns and the unknowns around that. So I do certainly think, though, that, I mean, Will Smith and Johnny Depp are clearly uh, enormously, enormously popular stars. Ray, has it always been this way? Have Have people's favorite actors always been old, like Robert Redford and Paul Newman and Jack Nicholson? Has it always just been people in their 50s? This is something we maybe could have touched on at some point. This is, and I noted it, you know, this is the first time we've asked this question uh, in this study. And it's a very, you know, it's a question we're going to be asking every time we do the study now. It's like going to be a, you know, we, we, we rotate questions in, we rotate questions out. This is going to be a mainstay because we want to be able to trend it over time and see if Jenna Ortega comes up into the top 20 or Tom Holland comes up into the top 20, right? I'm obviously very skeptical if this is the case. If you look back at the 90s, you look back at the box office in the 90s, you know, who is in the top 20 movies of, you know, of the year in 1995 or whatever, you're going to have mostly younger actors. Like, would Will Smith and Tom Cruise have been top 10 if this was done in 1997? Oh, absolutely, yes. That's the real shocker here, is that none of these actors in their 20s resonate at all. And, you know, you have plenty of opportunities here. It's just that these guys are doing 
Spider-Man, Marvel movies, and other stuff that doesn't really build them up as the brand. And that's a real problem for the industry long term. I think like Holland, for example, like I, I do think Holland is a star. Like Uncharted, you look at the Uncharted box office, Uncharted could have done way more. Like that was a Tom Holland effect. But then where's the next Tom Holland star vehicle? Do you guys know? Like, can you guys think of one off the top well, of your head? Well, he's going to do another Spider-Man. He did that terrible Apple movie, Cherry. That was Great. a floppy. Okay. His next thing is a TV show, The Crowded Room. He's doing an Apple TV show. Great. So Uncharted comes out at the beginning of 22, and we're in May of 23, and we can't cite what the next Tom Holland temple is. Spider-Man's he's not on the doing a, He's doing a Fred Astaire biopic, right? That's true. He could have his Austin Butler moment, if that's good. Yeah. Sir, I mean, I just think like... Back in the day, if you were in Spider-Man in December of 21 and Uncharted in February of 22, those movies did the business they did, you would have a movie coming out theatrically in summer of 23. Like, that would have happened. But that's where these stars are following the material, and the better material is often on television. I mean, Zendaya, his girlfriend, goes back and forth from movies to Euphoria. And arguably, she was able to break out of the Disney mold because she did Euphoria, not any of her film stuff. So, you know, there's so many more options and platforms these days. And these stars are building their careers based in part on the TV work, but are they building their star power? And that's an open question. So we'll end on Tom Cruise here. Number one, consensus number one. He does have some weaknesses though. I noticed in your analysis that while Cruise is the number one lure among men, he falls to number seven among women. And is that just lingering effects of the Scientology stuff, the couch jumping, the Katie Holmes separation? Or is it that he's making these kinds of action-heavy franchise movies that are more male-skewing? Well, I'll start as a mid-30s male. Tom Cruise is my number one, so Mm -hmm. I was delighted to see this. Over Leo? He's your number one over Leo? I can't get enough of Tom. I can't get enough of it. He's a superstar. Wow. He's a superstar. Yeah. And he, you know, the, the amount of the work that he puts in to make, to entertain, I think is a, a model that ideally more would take that, you know, that, that model. He's just, a, he's a superstar. And I, I just I, think Leo makes more interesting movies. So his brand to me is if Leo chose to do this, it's probably something that I'm going to like. Absolutely. From more, from a Tom's the popcorn and Leo is the, you know, from a quality standpoint. Yeah. So, you know, Tom with females under 35 goes down to number 10. So mm-hmm. number one overall, and then number 10 with females under 35. So it's actually the, it's the younger females who didn't necessarily, you know, they weren't in their, you know, didn't weren't of age, you know, kind of as Tom was, was hitting in the, you know, the eighties, nineties, two thousands. And just, I think the type of movies that he's been making for the last, you know, 15 plus years have been primarily, you know, primarily action movies or a, a legacy franchise in mission that, you know, the audience that is least interested in mission is going to be younger females. Obvious solution here. His next love interest needs to be Jenna Ortega. I'm creeped out by that. All right. Thank you, Ray. Appreciate you coming on the show. We'll have you back. This stuff's fascinating. Love all your work and energy. Um, we will talk soon. I really appreciate the time. Thank you, Matt. All right, we are back with the call sheet. Craig, I've gotten a look at a lot more stuff from the CinemaCon convention in Las Vegas since we talked on Tuesday. 
some pretty interesting things. I think it's weird that you get to see like 20 minute clips of movies. And so it's like, you kind of have seen most of the movie, but you also have, and it's like, it's an awkward middle ground. It actually sucks because like, I really wanted to see the Pixar movie Elemental, but they showed 20 minutes and it's like, yeah, it's cool. But Is they it the cut first it off. 20 minutes? Yeah, it was the first 20 minutes. Then they cut it off right when it gets good. Yeah. And like, you're like, what? You know, and they show these extended looks like the Oppenheimer footage from Chris Nolan was amazing. It looked great. Robert Downey, it looks like he's going to, this is like a return to him being a real actor and it looked great. But I was just like, I want more. The only one they showed the whole movie of was The Flash, which I did enjoy. Uh, I don't think it's as great as some of the euphoric headlines might suggest. There is a ludicrous- It's not a genre-defining movie? No, the, the greatest comic book movie ever. Like, that's, come on. There is a ludicrous cameo in the movie that I will not spoil, but I literally laughed out loud and everybody in my row was cracking up. That is something fun to look forward to. Oh, okay. And obviously, Vin Diesel, whenever he- pops up at a CinemaCon presentation, you know it's going to be good. He went on this like 10-minute rant that he was going off teleprompter and like talking about family, of course. And he introduced the footage and there's this ridiculous sequence where he ends up driving down the sheer face of Hoover Dam in Fast X, which uh, I don't think has been in the trailer. Maybe it has, but that looked pretty damn good to me. The basis of like the modern action movie is just figuring out like what you know, natural, beautiful landscape they can just destroy. Well, and presumably Hoover Dam explodes in the movie yeah. because there are two tanker trucks that explode at the top. So I am guessing that the water then rushes through Hoover Dam and Vin's car becomes a submarine at some point. That's the next step, right? <laughs> None of these cars have become speedboats yet. Yeah, we'll, we'll, hopefully we'll get to see that. But uh, so my prediction, you know, after seeing most of this stuff, I think the big winner from CinemaCon so far is the Wicked movie of all things. Oh. It is a musical theater franchise I am not really a fan of. Uh, was not expecting much out of the footage, but I had totally forgotten. Like, it's basically Wizard of Oz. John M. Chu, the director, he sent a video with like a bunch of footage and, you know, some behind the scenes stuff. It was pretty interesting. My, my prediction is the Wicked movie, they did it in two parts. First part in 2024, around the holidays. Second part, 2025. My prediction is that the Wicked movie will be a top five movie of 2024. Not on the Avatar 3 level. Um, probably not as much as the second part of Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning, which is going to be another big 2024 movie. But my prediction is that Wicked will be a top five, if not top three, movie of 2024. I'm going to need you to go with top three to qualify for a prediction. To qualify right, on, I'll do on top my three. list. Okay. It's just like Ariana Grande, Cynthia Revo looked good. Like they basically built out this world where it plays almost like a mix of Harry Potter and Wizard of Oz and with you know music that is very beloved. Like it's a huge global franchise and phenomenon that play. Uh, I think people may have underestimated how big it's going to be and it is going to be gigantic. You know, I, I don't see a lot of plays in person, but I, I do like a movie musical. So maybe I'll see. Oh, you do? That's right. You're an ABBA guy. Were you a Mamma Mia fan? Yeah, yeah. I think the Mamma Mia movies are really good. Uh, and yeah, I love <laughs> ABBA. is like one of my favorite The first bands. one was fun. The second one, they lost me when Cher started singing uh, whatever that song was. But um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right, that is the show for today. I, I want to thank my guest, Ray Subers. I want to thank producer Craig Horbeck and our editor, Justin Lopez. I will be back in LA and back at you next week. <laughs>